Hello and welcome to the Visible Man podcast. I'm Jack Rollins, the producer of the show. Visible Man is an organization whose mission is to connect men in need, create a visible network of advocates, and train key men in existing social networks to provide a foundation of support. On this week's episode, Jeff Hoffman sits down with Tom Andriola, a child sex abuse survivor and advocate, for a discussion on the difficulties many survivors face. Because of the content of this episode, we suggest you keep it away from sensitive ears. Some parts may be triggering for some listeners as well. Thank you. Thanks for being here, Tom. We are here on Visible Man. We are honored to have our guest, Tom Andriola, here. And before we get into it, I want to thank you for being here because the strength that it takes for you to have this discussion with us uh, means a lot to us. And when we started asking what kinds of conversations we wanted to have in the server, the guys trusted us with the openness to have this kind of discussion. Um, and so we're excited to have you, if that's as weird as that sounds, um, <laughs> because uh, having this kind of discussion is so meaningful. And there's people listening that even if they're not interacting with us, uh, I think just getting this message out there is really powerful. So your vulnerability is, is uh, your willingness to be vulnerable with us is uh, really powerful. So I, I appreciate you being here, Tom. Great. Thank you, Jeff. And I, I appreciate the invitation. And um, I'll be honest, I, I wasn't always able to be vulnerable like this. Um, yeah. you know, there were, there were times in my life that were pretty dark. Thankfully I was able to kind of work through them and be in a position today to speak, um, not only with groups like this, but publicly Yeah, all yeah. Of that as well. So I mean, that's a, a <laughs> like in my own experiences, when you say it got pretty dark, and now you're here today. That's like, it's like a zip file compressing everything from the last several decades into, <laughs> into where you are today. So what did that look like for you? At what point did you start to recognize that you wanted to speak out about this? Well, geez, it, um, it took a long time. I, I've got to be honest. And um, I, I was adopted at a young age, uh, three months and it, it went well uh, for my parents. And, you know, so they thought, why not adopt two older boys? Uh, and that was when I was two. Eventually, when I was 11, the eldest one had uh, abused me. Um, you know, it was abused uh, at the age 11 of 11. And I can, you know, I can go back and sort of talk about what kind of led up to that and all that. And I'll, I'll do that. But your, your question was more about like, when did, when was I ready to sort of come out publicly? And it took a very long time because I know I didn't even come out to a single individual for a good 14 years. So after so, the abuse, after happened. the abuse, like, so, so you were like, in your twenties, all, all bottled up. I was in, I was 25. I was already married and, and, mm. and it was my wife who I, wow. who was the first person I told ever, and then bottled it right back up again. Oh until, my God. 
until four years later when and finally I couldn't take it anymore. Um, and there, there are events that sort of led up to that that I can get into. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, bottled it all back up, went through a whole host of things. And, and then again, not really, you know, starting therapy in, in 2000 and then not really being ready to speak publicly until 2013. So it's a really long timeline from start to finish, mm-hmm. but one that I would never have done differently. Um, and, you know, I'm very thankful that I'm able to be at this point today to be able to speak to others. Cause I know, I know for certain that there are others who are at various stages in the process. Some not ready to deal with anything yet. Some, who maybe have started therapy, some who are in a really dark place, some who are a little bit beyond that. And, and it's a whole journey that kind of takes place. The span of time is different for everyone. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it's been a long span of time for me, but, you know, I'm finally, like I said, in a place where I speak comfortably about it now. Take me back to when you disclosed that to to your wife. I mean, it was probably a when you realized it's something and you had to speak up about it. How did that go for you? Yeah, that was <laughs> that was rough. Let me tell you, it's interesting because, like I said, I bottled it up for a long time. In fact, this guy was the best man at my wedding. <laughs> the person um, who abused you. Yeah. And there are some reasons for that. Uh, you know, I think sometimes when you've been abused, you think your abuser sees and hears everything that you're doing and any inkling uh, that you might tell somebody something or any inkling that something's out of whack will trigger him to basically attack you. And, and mm-hmm. I was worried, you know, I was worried about being attacked. So like I said, he was the best man in my wedding and in July of 1995 and about a year later he came to visit and it was the weirdest thing. So I was 25, he came to visit and he stayed for an extra day because we were going to go up. He wanted to go to the Saratoga racetrack and I'm in the car on the way up and I just got a massive pit in my stomach. Like what the hell's going on here? I didn't understand it, but, but this was the, this was the trauma kind of like trying to come out. Hmm. And uh, I started thinking about what he had done and, and, you know, to be clear, I, I, I had always known about it. It was suppressed, but it was not, you know, I know some people suppress traumatic events so deeply that they don't even remember them on a conscious level. I, I always did remember it on a conscious level, but never really understood what it meant or what the impact was or anything like that until this pit in my stomach came out during that visit in 96. And, and about a month later, probably not even a month later, my, my wife had a business trip to Utah and I, I went with her because I was sort of, I had just finished up graduate school and 
I hadn't started a job yet. Um, so it was, you know, so I tagged along and over the weekend we took a trip to Bryce Canyon and I just felt this urge to tell her and we were up there and I, you know, I said, I had to talk to her about something. And of course, you know, she thought I was telling her I wanted a divorce or something like that. (laughs) Um, and I, I had a hard time spitting it out, but I spit it out and, you know, I immediately thought I'm jumping off this cliff right now. And I, and I, I contemplated just taking that drastic action right then and there, because it was so, um, it felt like so scary to utter the words that I did to somebody else. And, you know, she was obviously upset and angry at him and, uh, but also, you know, didn't really know or understand how to react. You know, I mean, she hadn't kind of been confronted with something like that before. And so we got back in the car and, uh, we didn't really speak much about it after that for a while. And, and like I said, I buried it back inside for about four more years Wow! until I was sort of obligated to be the best man in his wedding Oh boy. Oh my and gosh. that's when things really started unraveling in my mental state. <laughs> okay. Um, oh and, you know, I got through, I got through the wedding, but I, after that I was a complete mess and basically said, and, you know, said to myself, I, I have to go get some help here. Cause I just can't, I can't take it. And, and up to that point, you know, going to see a therapist or something like that felt like a stigma to me. I had thought about it from time to time Mm -hmm. and never kind of followed through on it because I thought it, I thought it meant that I was broken or I was weak or whatever the case may be. And Mm -hmm. it's the best thing that I ever ended up doing. I give you a lot of credit. I mean, just to recognize that in yourself, because I like, to reach that breaking point is, it's brutal. I mean, to uh, experience it physically and in your relationships and, and things like that. So then you started going to therapy and you weren't, you weren't in therapy before this. Is that? No, no, not until then. 29 years old. Um, Finally ready Mm -hmm. to start therapy, started therapy. Now you got to tell you therapy is wonderful but you know, you got to be prepared that there's going to be ups and downs. And, and there definitely were some, some difficult times when things started really coming to the surface more. But at the end of the day, it, it kind of saved me. You know, it, my therapist, the, the things we worked on really opened the door to having me confront him, not in person, but, but by letters that I wrote that predictably uh, he never responded to. Mm. But when I first sent them, uh, the first letter really was, you know, listen, I, I want to stay a little bit apart. Uh, I don't want to do kind of, you know, gifts at Christmas time and things like that, but I didn't come out and say what the issue was in the first, in the first letter. And 
he never acknowledged it. And then, then a couple of, you know, and then there was a second letter basically saying, you know, I needed to follow up and didn't respond to that. The third one, I pointed it out Hmm. that he had sexually abused me and that I was looking for him to take accountability for it. And that if I had found anything else out that he had done, that I would be there to speak out against him. And Wow. Um, that letter, and even the first two letters after I sent them, I, I swore he was going to come and he was going to kill me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had these metal bars um, <sighs> underneath my couch to try to be ready to uh, oh my defend God. myself when he came in. I told my wife, you know, have your cell phone on you at all times, even if you're just going up and down the stairs. <sighs> Um, every time I heard a, a, a car, he was into sort of, um, muscle cars. So every time I heard like a, the deep noise that, a, that sort of a muscle car makes, I, I thought he was coming and it was just, it was, it was very difficult because I, I, I seriously thought I was looking over my shoulder all the time. God, I can't imagine. I, I'm, I'm picturing what the rest of your world looked like at that time, you know, like as you're going through this, your anxiety and your panic are just constantly running with you, but you also have a life to run outside of this. Yeah. You know what? I mean, I have to imagine that it impacted that as well. Yeah, it sure did. I mean, you know, and I was lucky enough to have the type of job where I could place focus on, on my work when I needed to, and I had somehow I had I had some kind of an ability to do that to block everything else out of my mind and place focus on my work. But in times where it was eating at me, there was also room for me to just kind of stare into space if I needed to, mm. <laughs> which I did a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have to imagine it just kind of like derailed parts of things. As you, it takes a lot of energy to hold things back on keep things on track and what about like the relationships in your life? How did it impact those? Oh God. Relationships. Um, well, relationships in general have always been very difficult as you can imagine, you know, um, being abused as a child by someone who is supposed to be your ally, be one of your best friends, uh, things like that really gives you a sense of distrust. And Mm. so relationships in general were tough for me. I, you know, if I had somebody come too close, I'd sort of be pushing them away. And if there were people who intrigued me that I couldn't get to be close, I'd try to pull them in, you know? And so it was this push pull Mm. type of thing (laughs) that was going on all the time. Um, So that's, relationships in general, but when it comes to specific relationships in my immediate family and in my extended family, it was really very interesting the way you can right away find out who's going to be there for you, who's on your side, and who's going to basically throw you under the bus. Ah. And so... For me, fortunately, my wife was very supportive. My parents were very supportive. 
some of my extended family was very supportive and other people in my extended family were nasty. And, you know, it kind of tore some things apart in my extended family. It, it disturbed some of the relationships that my mom had with her sisters and it, and it was just difficult. And you, you know, you see that and it's like, you know, people are in two camps. They're, they're either empathetic and they try to understand what someone's been through or they like to sweep things under the rug, you know, and, and they want uh, people to just be together and pretend they're happy all the time. Um, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just bowing my head out of um, empathy or like, I, I don't know. I get it. I totally get it. Part of me wonders like what puts people in each of those camps. You know, do you think it's, they don't know what to say or do you, or do you think it's, I think it's like shining a light on something that they don't want to look at or or it's probably a combination of those things. Everybody has their individual experiences and, you know, there are, I mean, there, there could be some people who have had traumatic experiences and, and haven't been able to deal with them yet. And so let's say, you know, a traumatic experience is, is brought to the front of the table for conversation and that traumatic experience has happened to them. It might be really difficult for them to, to resonate with that and to defend somebody who brings it up because maybe they haven't been, had the capacity to deal with themselves yet. Yeah. And maybe they don't want to, maybe they just want to keep it buried. And we, we all, respond to events in our lives differently. It it could be that it could be that they want to just keep the peace no matter what. Uh, It could be that they think it's trivial, um, which, you know, there, there's some things that there's some nasty things that some of these people said to me, you know, one being my aunt that told me that I was going to bring my mom's cancer back by bringing this up. Oh my God. Oh. Like seriously. I mean, wow. you know, it's, and, 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 you know, when you're going through this stuff, unfortunately you have to be prepared for all types of different reactions. And there are going to be some that you just uh, can't really maintain a, a great relationship with anymore after yeah. some of those things come out. That has been a shock for me is the uh, you said you have to be prepared for it. And I don't, I don't, in some ways, I don't think you can logically prepare for it. You can yeah. logically say, yeah, you know, it's like, it's like you know, being in a relationship saying, yeah, maybe someday we'll break up. It's like, you can prepare for it mentally, but. Yeah. And, and I, and, and maybe that's the, that maybe that's not the right terminology that I should have used there <laughs> because you're right. You can't prepare for everything. And, and, and I don't mean that statement to kind of like discourage people from working on their own healing, because again, like I said, the healing process for me is bar none over and above the best thing I've ever done. And, and, you know, there did end up being some casualties in my relationships, but I wouldn't have done it any differently. I'm so happy to hear that genuinely. So you're on Visible Man. We're here talking about male sexual abuse. And 
when I was looking for quotes and things like that to kind of you know, advertise this kind of discussion, many of them had her in it. And so the whole topic of, of it's almost interesting, I mean, even as I phrase that, that it's not, it's often presented as sex abuse or male sex abuse. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, this, it seems like there's a big misunderstanding, a lot of either a lack of information or I don't know, just a different perspective. I don't know what, what has the perspective been from where you sit being a man as you've gone through this? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a different dynamic and, you know, I've, I've talked about this with a lot of different professionals and uh, have had discussions, have, have done some workshops on it and things like that. It's much more prevalent than you would think. You know, the, the statistics have bounced around a little bit, but it's been, pretty much you can say one in four girls and one in six boys by the time they're 18 mm-hmm. will have experienced some sort of sexual abuse. And so it's not like it's 95% girls and 5% boys. There are a lot of boys who have been sexually abused and the difficulty that I've found at least with, uh, conversations I've had with professionals and other, other men who have uh, come forward and disclosed is that you're supposed to uphold this strong attitude. Um, You're not supposed to be hurt. Uh, You're supposed to be able to protect yourself. Uh, All these things, which are really not true for a young child. Um, uh, So there's this extra stigma sometimes that gets placed on the the male who was abused versus a female where you know you hear uh, people talk about you know uh, a 10 year old 12 year old girl who is sexually abused immediately what comes to mind is i'm going to go murder that motherfucker <laughs> just uh, yeah. yeah oh yeah <laughs> um, oh yeah you know and you know, there, there is a difference in dynamic and, and we just need to talk about that and recognize it. It's, it's not that, and it never should be that, well, for a girl, it's worse than for a boy. No, that's not true at all. Anybody who experiences any type of abuse is entitled to the impact that they have for it. And they are impacted by it. And it's not that, you know, just because you're a boy, it should have been less of an impact. It's not, not at all. And, you know, and and that's what we need to make sure the public understands and professionals in the field understand and really that everyone and, and that the, that the um, men themselves understand, you know, it's not in any way your fault. What was done to you is something that was perpetrated on you. And, you know, you, you shouldn't feel that it's your fault. It's, it's not that you should have been stronger, should have been able to prevent it or any of these things. That's just the falsity. Yeah. I, I like the way you describe that as perpetrated on you. And it's, it's not your fault. I think there's just this human nature to blame yourself or something. And when, you know, when, when we're kids, we don't have that capacity. And like I said, before we started this, I had a conversation with my daughter and um, something very unrelated to this, but um, her bad feelings, she was putting on herself as her own, like, that's my fault. I'm like, honey, it's not, it's not your fault. And again, it was unrelated to this, but just that human nature, especially as children, I think 
to take on more than, I don't know, that we even understand how to process at that age. Absolutely. Uh, that's a, is absolutely a natural reaction. And, and that's why, you know, you know, we talk about adverse childhood experiences and it's a, it's a big topic of conversation these days. And the, the way that uh, events during childhood are processed, you know, when there's something traumatic that comes along is a lot of times they're, you know, they're bottled up and then they come out later and, you know, it's, it's, it's normal to have them come out and it's normal to go and talk to somebody about it and to learn about some other responses and mechanisms that are more healthy that you can have now that you're an adult than you were able to do when you were a child. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so, so it's kind of a natural part of your evolution as a human being to be able, you know, to, to do what you need to do to get through it when you're going through it as you're growing up and, you know, to, to work with those issues uh, when you become an adult. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that my therapist asks me, you know, in a perfect therapist way, just like, put just putting it out there, not like super like drilling into your head, you know, is why now, you know, like why not, not necessarily pointing at you specifically, but like, what do you think gets people to that point of being ready to address what happened to them? Yeah. I mean, like I said, with, with my own situation, I, I think there are events that happen in your life that kind of trigger some, some thoughts or, or bring up some reminders for me, you know, I think it had to do with kind of finally being, you know, grown up out of the house Then I was getting married, but he was my best man. So that kind of started to build with inside of me and basically say, what am I doing? You know, like mm -hmm. what I, I was doing, what I thought was expected of me by having him be my best man. Mm. I was also trying to keep quiet something, you know, even if it was subconsciously trying to keep quiet what had occurred because I was afraid of him and what he would do to me. Mm. And, you know, and then he came for that visit and it, and it brought it out. So I, so I think there are events probably that happen in people's lives that might bring it to the surface a little bit. And sometimes it starts to come up and, and they kind of push it back down. And other times it really starts to come up and it's coming out somehow. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and it might come out in different ways, but I think, it starts to come out when your body and your, you know, your mind kind of are at the point where they're ready, you know, you're ready yeah. for it. And, and then, you know, maybe you think you're ready and then it comes back down, but then it, it cycles back up. And I, you know, I think that's pretty natural that it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't suddenly just appear and like, Oh, you know, here we are. And, um, now I am on to the next stage and I'm never, you know, uh, um, um, you know, I go from one point to the other. It's a whole process, I think, of yeah. working through it. And I think doing that process and going through the work is what makes it rewarding. Now, along the way, I'm imagining you encountered people that 
I don't know. Like, it's like you said, it's not a linear process. It's not step A, B, C, but I imagine you probably met people along the way that helped you, that helped you feel understood or found groups, or maybe your therapist said something. I'm wondering if you could recall some of that in your story. Yeah, I definitely could. And I, and I think, honestly, there are people along the way that help you even before you know they're helping you, even before your story comes out. And then there are people mm. after your story comes out that help you as well. But I remember, and I like to tell the story of a teacher in high school that I will never forget. And I keep in touch with to this day because he was just somebody who listened with empathy and paid attention to me, had no clue what had happened, but probably had some sense that things were a little off and just was there, uh, helped me to advance uh, in, in, in Italian. He was an Italian teacher, um, helped me to navigate some things in my life that uh, he saw me struggling with that were not even related to the abuse or anything like that, but was there as an empathetic person who, who was trauma informed and probably one of, he was probably the only individual that I felt that way about. And, you know, that, that's not to say that other teachers are bad. It's just that they're not really trained to kind of have that presence. A lot. I think they are more now. Mm -hmm. um, but, but back then they really weren't. And then I've just had some, some key friends uh, after I did my disclosure and I finally started to come out just, it's interesting, you know, you have, you have the people that, and you can never predict it. You know, there, there are some people who are your friends that, that want to lend a listening ear all the time and others who pretend they didn't even hear what uh, you just came out with. So you know, yeah, yeah. About their, their basic business and, and, you know, that that's okay. There might be something going on with them that they just are not at the point where they can do that. And I think that that's the one thing, the, the other, the other side of it that is helpful to me is to understand that everyone's at a different point in their journey. And there are some who are going to respond negatively or, or pretend they don't know what's happening. And, and that's just where they are in their journey. Yeah. It's alarming. I mean, it is, like you said, you can't predict, you know, some of the stuff we talk about uh, invisible man is just, there's a kind of a before and an after, whether it's a, a, a loss of, of a, a loved one or a divorce or, mm -hmm. um, there's sort of a before and after feeling and there's like a, you can't predict. And it's, it's uh, you know, I'm really grateful that we're talking about this because you can have uh, somebody's hearing this and thinking, damn, man, like how can he talk about it with such poise and strength? But you know, it's, it's like that hindsight is 2020 and the growth that you've experienced. It's, it's really admirable and I respect it. I'm wondering about, I remember reading a Reddit thread. This was a few months ago about, sexual abuse and the the reaction and i i use that word not as opposed to a response but the reaction that you get from people mm -hmm. um whether it's a close person or 
whoever you choose to share your story with what like this there's got to be a wide spectrum of reactions and i'm wondering you know if turning it around if you were in the shoes of somebody hearing your story what's a what's a good way what what are some ways that you've had people respond positively when you share yeah i i mean yes and i have received a wide spectrum of responses and some very very damaging and negative um like i like i had said um but i think the best thing you can do to help someone really with any any issue is to be there to just listen to them, to not question whether or not you think it's true, believe them, not really try to uh, offer them a solution, but just a listening ear and, and to show empathy. Those are the biggest things I think. And, you know, you know, I'm so sorry, you know, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that and, you know, things like that. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense and it's still hard to do, you know? It is. Yeah. Because a lot of times when you hear um, such, you know, some heartbreaking stories, you want to come in with a solution, right? Right. Well, especially dudes. Uh, yeah. I'm going to go <laughs> and do this or you should do this. Oh, you should blah, 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 sue them right. and this and that. And, and you're like, whoa, hold on now. <laughs> just, yeah. yeah just I just listen. need someone to hear me out. Um, right. Support me. So we have guys listening in the server, and um, I know that they're excited to ask some questions. So I'd like to transition to that, if sure. that's okay with you. Yeah. Okay. So, okay, one question is, uh, can we talk about how a person has the ability to block out abuse, and later you realize what has happened? Yeah. I mean, I, I am not a scientist, but I, I have... Um, I have learned a lot about this issue in terms of what the brain does when trauma happens. And, you know, it, it basically um, takes these traumatic memories and compartmentalizes them. And there are times when, uh, you know, depending on the reaction, depending on the severity of the abuse and, and all that, and probably the age and things like that can compartmentalize some of these memories. The memories also don't, don't flow chronologically like non-traumatic memories do. So that's why you hear sometimes when people are being interrogated, they don't they might say things out of order and then it questions their credibility hmm. and all that. But, but the, the memories themselves are compartmentalized. And sometimes that really means that they're not available on a conscious level. Um, like I said, my own story, mine was always available on a conscious level. Um, but there have been, there are, there are regular instances where they're not ready and they're not readily available at a, at a conscious level. And, and there are triggers that could include smells, colors, um, surroundings, things like that, that can, at some point in time, it could be years later, bring it up to the surface. And, and you know, I, I actually have um, presented with another survivor who that was the case for. And he didn't remember any of it 
until years later. And then suddenly it came to the surface and he's like, what the, huh? what is going on here? And, and it's just, it's the way that memories are processed from traumatic events sometimes. Mm. Uh, and it varies from, from person to person. So on that topic, actually, somebody asked, what do you, what do, you do then? What, 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 can you talk about healthy ways to deal with those triggers when they happen? Yeah, there are definitely grounding exercises that, um, you know, that if you do uh, go to a therapist, they'll, they'll work with you on grounding exercises. And that has to do with really like deep breathing, meditation, um, uh, things that will bring you back to the present moment. Because when you're, when you're triggered, I, I think what's happening is you're kind of, your, your mind is going to a different place. And, um, and you're starting to sort of panic, um, you're, and, and sometimes you're getting into that fight, flight, freeze mode mm. that's triggered by, by a traumatic memory or something like that. And, and, and the biggest thing, the biggest healthy mechanism you can do is sort of do some of those, those exercises, breathing, meditation, um, listen to music, uh, things like that. And some people, you know, on the other hand, use unhealthy coping mechanisms, which, you know, could be sometimes the reason people turn to alcohol or drugs or sex or, or other, other things like that. That's, a, that's actually a good point to bring up about uh, the unhealthy ones, too. So the next question is, um, can we talk about how sexual abuse with the male influences relationships with males and females? Yeah, well, I... I um, have definitely had to work on trust issues specifically with males. I've, you know, as you might imagine, I was abused by a male. So I, you know, if I go get a massage, there's no male giving me a massage. Um, mm -hmm. That's just the way it is. <laughs> mm -hmm. I do have some pretty good relationships with males. I do tend to uh, connect with females a little bit better and that, and that's just the nature of it. But I, have been working on it for a long time and trying to build deeper relationships with both males and females. Cause like I said earlier, I, I I've had a tough time with relationships across the board based on all this stuff that has occurred and not really wanting to be too close to any one person. It mm. makes a lot of sense. Next question is uh, what resources did you wish you had growing up to deal with this trauma? Yeah, well, nowadays there are these uh, things called child advocacy centers, and those centers are are designed, you know. And I think you had you said you had Deb Rosen who mm -hmm. had the Vona Child Advocacy Center. They're designed to really work with kids who have been sexually abused. So I do wish there was something like that 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 maybe I would have been able to access as the abuse was occurring, but. Even if one was available at that point in time, I, I'm not sure that would have been enough to get me to speak up. So I've talked with folks about things like, what about if we create like a, a text line or a hotline for kids that can anonymously disclose information that's happening to them and take away a little bit of the fear that they're going to that, that these people are going to know who they are, but maybe they could get some 
questions in and maybe eventually the the people working that can convince them to say hey you know we're going to be here to help you and something like that might have brought me in and brought me to the comfort level of being able to speak up and eventually get some help at the time that it was happening but I never felt that there was something readily available at that point in time and, and would just bottle it up and shut it down. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. The, the guys you're hearing a response and they said, there's a lot of truth about, uh, about what you're saying. So, well, I think I want to ask just kind of one final question uh, before I let you go. If somebody uh, was hearing this story right now uh, and they were in your shoes, uh, what would be something you would say to them as they're, as they're starting their journey through this? Yeah. As they're starting their journey, I think I would, I would encourage them to move forward and uh, work on their journey, face their journey, reassure them that things are going to be okay, that they are going to work through and uh, get past the, the dark times. They're, they're going to be okay. I think that's good advice. Tom, I can't thank you enough for being here. I know that this discussion is reaching people that need to hear it wherever they are in their journey. So I really appreciate the, uh, the vulnerability and, that you've had with us. Absolutely. Yeah, thank, thank you for the invitation. I really appreciate it and happy to help anytime. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for listening to the Visible Man podcast. If you are interested in taking part in the next live discussion or just want to hang around a great group of guys who not only listen and understand, but actively lift one another up, shoot Jeff a DM on Instagram at visibleman underscore org or go to the website visibleman.org. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It helps other people find us. For Visible Man, this is Jack Rollins, reminding you that being vulnerable is the ultimate demonstration of strength. Cheers. Mm-hmm.